Welcome back to Baselayer. This is David, and this is your new episode with Jack O'Halloran, the CEO of Scale Labs and the co-founder of Scale. This is a great conversation. Scale has been talked about a lot within the digital asset landscape. They just announced a great deal with Consensus, uh, which we talk about. It was breaking news that happened this week uh, as the date of this uh, recording. It happened about two days ago, and you guys should be hearing about it probably on a Monday if we get this out in the time that we need to. Jack is a multi-time founder. He spent a lot of time in uh, Silicon Valley, has built a few different companies, and we talked about his reason for building this particular company today. And so we talked about this idea of decentralized networks allow for new wave of business models and organizational structures to come to light. Their potential for societal and business impact has been well documented and it has their shortcomings with regards to performance, usability, and cost effectiveness. This is at a core of what Skill has been working on in terms of making things faster, in terms of using things like sidechains, in terms of using things like sharding. These are all things that are working together to try to make things faster, to make them more operable. And so the user, you all that are listening to this, can actually enjoy these applications. And Scale currently has about 35 decentralized applications in its innovator program. This is running from games to decentralized finance to streaming music and real estate. So they are really working on something special here. And so remember, nothing on Layer is investment advice. You can hear a great conversation here, but please do your own research. And on the flip side, you're going to hear a great conversation with Jack from Scale. Enjoy. This is David, and this is your new episode of Base Layer. And oh boy, is it a good one. I have Jack O'Halloran, the CEO of Scale Labs and the co-founder of Scale with me today. Jack, how are you? I'm doing great. Thank you. So, Scale is in the news, uh, has been this week, and for those that do not know what Scale and Scale Labs are, we're going to go all through that, uh, getting a lot of attention out there right now, and they did a pretty big uh, deal recently, and uh, we'll talk more about all the nuances of that, but let's just say that this is something that a lot of people are talking about, so I'm really glad that we got Jack on, and uh, he's been a busy, busy person uh, the last few weeks. So as everyone knows on the show, I'd like to go through a little bit of background before we get too far into the weeds on what you're actually building there and doing there. And so, you know, you have been a successful founder at uh, Actana and then uh, some all places along the way you've been. And so what we like to focus on on the show is not necessarily the when Bitcoin or Ethereum moment, but what about distributed and decentralized architecture? Or maybe when did you actually start playing around with that? What really led you down to this path of being a founder? And I thought it was interesting, I was reading this, that you guys wrote this, that decentralized networks allow for a new wave of business models and organizational structures to come to light. Their potential for societal and business impact has been well-documented, as have their shortcomings with regards to performance, usability, and cost-effectiveness. And I thought that was really profound, and I agree with all of that. So let's talk about your background a little bit. And then, you know, as I said, when you had the moment that you wanted to actually say, okay, I want to be a founder in this, sp- in this space, I want to build something here, I see this opportunity, and then we'll go into what Scale and Scale Labs is doing. That sounds great. So, and, and by the way, I think I like this angle. I think it's uh, a lot of people, I love talking about their down the rabbit hole moment of, of Bitcoin, which is fun. But for me, I had that back in 2013, but it wasn't until... 
2016 that I really decided, hey, I want to start a company in this space. And and I've been doing tech I've been doing tech startups in Silicon Valley since 2005. Um, have been with some successful companies like Good Technology and. Uh, which had a, a very big acquisition by Motorola. I'd been doing, uh, I'd started actually a digital currency platform that enterprises could use to allocate resources in 2008 <laughs> before, before starting Octana. But it wasn't until I really understood the way that smart contracts and decentralized systems can help orchestrate systems that, uh, that I was fully immersed intellectually. So and, and I'll, I'll go a little deeper in that. Mm-hmm. The, piece, the piece to me that is exciting is you, a group of people through an open source software platform can all agree on a framework and a set of rules and a code base that will run whatever their organization is. And, um, and the way that gets interesting from a business perspective is the way you can start disrupting middlemen heavy environments. And Right. Um, it could be something. So here's an example that's easy, but not really, I would say, too realistic in the short term. It would be the example of a decentralized Uber. Mm-hmm. Okay. So it's, and I'll just use this, then I'll go into some other more nuanced categories. So let's say a group of people said, hey, let's go build an open source version of Uber and let's maintain it. Let's uh, let's let's make it so whenever anytime someone rides, instead of Uber taking thirty percent of that ride, let's share that fifteen percent with the driver and fifteen percent discount back with the you know the purchase the right the rider who's paying for that. And so that's kind of the model. But then then you have this chicken and egg problem of well, why in the heck would these people spend all this time building the software? Why would they maintain and support it? How would they pay? What's the economic model? And that's where cryptocurrencies come in. That's where, you know, taking the rake one time with like a creator setup fee, getting a certain amount of the tokens, the token being utilized in the system, having a set of rules that everyone can agree on, see, clearly audit. And that's where, you know, you, and then the other piece is community. It's so hard to disrupt incumbents, but hey, if you could come in and say, it's going to cost 15% less for you and it's going to, you're going to make fifteen percent more for you. Then that's exciting, and and but that I have also a theory that the more human involvement required in a decentralized system, the more difficult it is to pull off. Yep. So I think the low hanging fruit is where we can apply these things to very tech heavy uh, models, and we use tokenization and cryptocurrency to really disrupt pure technical uh, areas first that are less about like a person getting in a car. And I'm happy to go deeper there too. But that was my aha moment uh, when big, I heard that. That's a big moment. <laughs> you know, it's really interesting is that there is this bifurcation, and I think it's a healthy bifurcation, that people, especially outside of the digital asset crypto landscape, need to understand is that Bitcoin does its thing. Bitcoin is a store of value. People who are building on Ethereum also definitely love and appreciate and use Bitcoin and they understand the nuances of Bitcoin, but it does not have, it has some limiting factors. It does not have state and thus it can't necessarily remember. You can do contracts on there sort of kind of with some of the script back in the day, but in terms of smart contracts, in terms of Turing completeness and being able to have something that can redact and constantly computate you know, that is one of the linchpins, especially on the Ethereum side. And that's why it's okay for both to exist and to both be in harmony and to both 
do profoundly wonderful things. And so really interesting. I always want to ask, you know, exactly what about the, the you know, the, the nuances. And I think that's a really interesting you know, kind of way that you framed it. And so let's get to scale. So the scale network has been designed with the goal of resolving the technical scalability, user experience, and cost issues affiliated with decentralized networks such as Ethereum. So I want to discuss this. So as we have talked before, Layer one on Ethereum posts around a 15 transaction per second kind of click in terms of performance. And many have come on the show and talked about transactions per second not really being the best metric for Ethereum because it's more computational. It's not necessarily, you know, as opposed to say, you know, Bitcoin and kind of the Visa analogy, Ethereum is doing different things. And so do you agree or disagree that that metric, that TPS, is really a good metric? And so that's one of the questions that we're going to talk a bunch about of other things. Uh, another really, really astute point here is TPS is a good metric, but it's one that's been grossly overpublicized and, and overfunded. Uh, when you think about transaction per second, uh, 15 is actually a lot over the course of a day. It's not a lot over the course of uh, a peak time. And it's not a lot when all of these systems have to share TPS. So let's take the real world. We have uh, enterprise email. Everyone using Outlook. Uh, if you're using Outlook, Outlook at your work and, and, you know, and you're getting charged on the back end for every time you send an email, your IT group is. And then at the same time, uh, you know, the Super Bowl's on and Twitter's firing, sending you know, pictures of the halftime show, and it costs you 25 times more to send your email, and it uh, and your email goes through slower. You 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 know that that important thing that's going through the internet is being jammed up because Twitter and your enterprise email client are all sharing the same backend. So right. that is where we have issues. So when you think about scale, scale is trying to solve not for you know, it does have high throughput. A single backend can do 2,000 transactions per second, a single scale chain. But the real issue is making sure that when there's execution happening, when smart contracts are firing, when data calls are firing, that they're doing it in their own environment. So if I have a game, a game on one side, I've got a DeFi application on another side. If I have um, you know, enterprise B2B uh, marketing automation disruptor on the other side, they're not all beholden to each other's success or failure for costs and, and performance. And right. so scale lets each one of them have their own version of Ethereum. It's almost Ethereum as a service that they can bring their transactions to. And then when they need to rectify things to this big shared database, they can do it one time at intervals or just when the end user decides to pull assets out. And that to me is the piece that is incredibly different between compute and the Web two world compared to compute in the in the Web three world is right now most people are just trying to solve for aggregate shared compute, mm -hmm. but the world and applications don't work that way. And so, and the other thing that you mentioned, and I think you kind of hit on it, and you know, one of the things that I'd like to kind of figure out is that I have been postulating that the user experience is increasingly getting better over the last six to twelve months, whereas two or three years ago. Things were a little Atari 1982. It was 
a little unpleasant to say the least. And I think you're starting to see, especially in games as it relates to Ethereum, where you're starting to see more of a harmony. And I've said that before, that word specifically means something to me because harmony is interoperability, basically, where you're not having all of these disparate pieces kind of working together, but they're all disparate. And for the user, it can be very alien these days. Back in the day, you know, 1997, 98 with Netscape and some of the, you know, user browsers that we had, it was not that wonderful. It wasn't point and click. You didn't have all the cache data on there. So if you wanted to buy something, all of it just popped up like it does today. And so things change. But with the user experience today and what you're doing with scale, can you talk a little bit more about that? Yeah, I'd love to. So this is, I'll just kind of walk you through how things happen today and then how they're going to happen, how they're already happening and how they're going to happen by the end of this year in and around Ethereum. So so today, let's say, hey, there's this, um, I have the opportunity to use this, this decentralized savings account and I can move assets. So one, I need to make sure I have Ether. Then I've got to get it into this place where I can take the ether and connect it into the savings account application. And then um, and I need to make sure I can authenticate in anytime I want to access that. And then let's say within that savings account, I can take a piece over and I can do some trading. I can do other elements with this. Well, then it has to go somewhere else. And each time I do it, I get charged each time I use the application and, and I get charged a fair bit and it's slow we're really improving this fiat to crypto on ramp and then what we're getting is we're getting better wallets so there's these there's these things called api based wallets and uh, portis bitski fortmatis fortmatic taurus are all building these and what happens is i can just get my crypto into this wallet mm-hmm. and then on the back end they have an api that plugs into all the the applications and then i want to use then all of a sudden the internet is you know completely open the web three internet and I want to use the savings account. I want to play this game. I want to use my money over, um, in this, like I said, maybe it's a, uh, it's an event application, whatever it might be. I might be betting on sports. I might be any, you know, hundreds of any way you use money today in the, in the internet, uh, buying music, whatever. And I, I plug in automatically, and then I need to authenticate in, and then I could even authenticate in using Facebook or a password or uh, biometrics or Google Authenticator. Right. And I'm able to auth in, and then what happens? They connect directly into Scale, and so that application doesn't just connect to the mainnet. That application is connected to a Scale chain, and that's that developer, that application's own backend database. And then everything I do happens over there. And then as a user in the API wallet, I say, I want to take the money out. It pays both systems. The money comes right back to me. And I never pay gas fees as I use the product and the service instead of paying, you know, 10, 20 cents each time I do anything and waiting 15 seconds. Instead, it's sub-second anytime something happens, no fees unless I'm moving money in and out. So it really becomes a Web2 experience from end to end. And, uh, and it's... Like these, these three components had to come together, and I guess a fourth too, if you include fiat on ramps, like things like Wire and Coinbase, mm-hmm. and that are improving. And so let's get into the 
kind of the nuts and bolts in this. So side chains in the network are operated by a group of virtualized subnodes selected from a subset of nodes in the network and are run on, on a subset, a multi-latency of each node's computation and storage resources. Each sidechain is highly configurable with consumers being able to choose their chain size, consensus protocol, virtual machine, parent blockchain, and additional security measures, e.g. virtualized subnode shuffling and frequency. So I want you to unpack all that because, again, remember that you know people who are listening to this may not be as technically sophisticated as you, I, or other people that have been investing in this space for a bit. So unpack that a little bit. But then I want to talk, are you using, does it seem like there's a use of shard here? And also, are you planning to, or are you kind of already looking at ZK? Because I saw that you mentioned roll up, and then I have a bunch of other questions. Is start very basic. So let's talk about blockchains. So we think about a blockchain, we need to think about it as really a set of computers that all need to be able to carry the same data. And then they have a mechanism so that they can all look at each other and verify that they all have the same data or information, okay? And if there's only three of these computers and two-thirds of them could uh, change the data maliciously and take the assets, then that's not very secure. But it's really fast because there's only three. <laughs> they just The three of them just ping each other. There's no latency. <laughs> it's simple. It doesn't matter what the consensus algorithm is for the most part. It's just going to be really fast. If there's 30,000 or 10,000, then, and across the entire world, then we have a huge networking issue where all the computers have to talk, they have to verify, they have to come to a mathematically provable decision to say this is accurate. And it's a networking problem and a cryptography problem. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, one way you solve for that is you say, hey, let's have a smaller group of validators or nodes or computers that are going to determine that the data is the same. And so side chains in the past were ways of saying, hey, let's get these 20 computers and let's have them run the exact same software as the main chain. And then let's build a bridge that can talk back and forth. The issue is that you better trust those 20 people or 20 nodes um, or 10 or however many it is, even three explicitly, because they could steal the money just by making a decision together. Right. So side chains are faster because there's less of them. Now, but they lose a lot of security. When you look, but when you look at an elastic sidechain model like Scale has created, what Scale does is it effectively shards. It could have 10,000 nodes in the Scale network. Each node, you mentioned virtualized subnodes, each node is actually 128 computers that can all be on different blockchains. And I'm using computers instead of node just to make it more real life. You could call it a server. But these computers then randomly get assigned to work together. And they get assigned in groups of 16. And let's say I have a, a um, advertising, uh, online advertising ad tech platform disruptor, which um, we have one running on scale that's building on scale. And I, you know, want to, and I'm on Ethereum and I say, hey, I want to be faster. Well, in a random fashion, there could be of those thousand nodes uh, in the network, I'm given 16. And actually, I'm given, there's 128,000 virtualized subnodes. I'm, giving, I'm given 16 of them, and they work for me. And then what happens is they're rotated intermittently. And then also, there's an incentive. And so each node is staking one or $200,000 of asset into the network. And then if they're malicious, they lose that money. So by having a big pool, 
by randomly selecting them, by rotating them intermittently, and then making them have an incentive to act in, a, in the right way, you really can ex, you can take a lot of the value of side chains and keep the pooled security model of a larger network. Mm-hmm. And that's really the, the, the point of being able to shard is to like have pooled security from a larger group. Scale also runs a souped up version of Ethereum. So it's got C++ Ethereum, the Aleph uh, code that's been modified and improved for networking. It's also got scale consensus, which is a leaderless BFT consensus that's really fast. And, and so in your sharded or subset of nodes that run your scale chain, you can do 2,000 transactions per second if you have you know, the largest set that you could, you could rent from the network. You could you can have sub-second block times and and other other uh, other advantages such as that. So that's that's really how scale operates and how it brings speed to Ethereum. And so, effectively, I, I want to you know just kind of dig in a little bit more here. So Ethereum has had issues when it gets congested, and we saw that with CryptoKitties. We've talked about that a few times on the show before. And so at the kind of the core of this, is it to basically make sure that we decongest layer one on Ethereum? So there's two, one, we need to decongest layer one, but two, in order for us to get to an evolved state where we have hundreds of thousands of applications working, Mm -hmm. we need to allow developers to have their own backend. Right now in the centralized world, guess what? We, you rent an instance of Amazon, you're getting containers and compute given to you that come from this bigger pool of servers and they're your own. It doesn't matter if I'm supercell, if Gmail spiking or if I'm Gmail and the supercell game is spiking, my performance and costs are, are the same. So there's an element of performance and usability and, you know, even just UX with getting rid of gas fees, that's critical. But the other piece is we, we unburden this clog on the main net and really free up the main net and bring costs down on the main net while uh, increasing the total value of the main net too, I would say, just because we're going to increase the total market share. Right. So I want people to understand that this is important because think of it as, you know, the way that I thought about it a few years ago is that, you know, blockchains, especially on Ethereum, you know, before there was like two lanes of a highway and it was going back and forth. Imagine just going back and forth, you know, in opposing in opposing directions. And you get a few more people on that road and then traffic starts to come up and then you basically have, you know, anytime anything you've gone to a, or in New York like I am and you go to the FDR at about 4.30 in the afternoon, you know that you're not getting home for another hour and a half. And so it's kind of like that. It, it, it just becomes highly congested. And so, you know, the idea of what Jack is talking about is basically all of a sudden now you have roads on the side that can do all of those things that can get you back and forth and can basically just speed things up. So you've just kind of increased the magnitude so you're not running into that traffic jam like you were before. And so it's really important um, for kind of the overall usage and for the experience like we talked about before. And so getting to experience and getting to actually what's happening on scale. So scale currently has over 35 dApps and it's innovator program. And again, for people that's decentralized apps. These run the gamut from games to DeFi to streaming music to real estate. So want to hear more about what's being built here and what color you can give me. And then additionally, you mentioned that to run a dApp, and I think you talked about this at the beginning, at over 2,000 transactions per second with zero gas fees. I just want to, again, emphasize, 
from what I've seen in terms of getting to speed on Ethereum, you usually would have to pay a little extra to get your transaction through faster. So again, I just think I want to make sure that people understand that this is being done without gas. And then I also want to talk more about what's being built on scale, the 35 dApps, and the use cases that you're seeing so far. Yeah, great. So I'll, I'll go in reverse order. So one, I'll address the gas component and and really the the fee structure. And so just want to be clear. So gas is a critical element of stopping DOSing or denial of service attacks. And it makes it so no one can jam up the network. And scale actually ha- has a gas, but it's it's a fake gas. So the developer can integrate it. And anytime the user uses scale, the gas ends up being pushed through. But And if you try to push through a million of them in one second, well, the person r- would run out. And so it's the same model. They just would run out of supply if they're doing something malicious. But it doesn't cost the user money. And it doesn't... Im- impede the user's experience unless they want to do a million of them or a thousand of them a second, which would really just only happen in a denial of service attack. So, so that's why gas is important and scale, um, scale solves for that. So the other piece is when it comes to user experience, when you look at the applications that are building on scale, they need fast throughput of smart contracts. And generally, you know, they're not pushing through, uh, one transaction per user, a user every month and putting in a $100,000 or $50,000 transaction. If that's your, if you're doing that, then the mainnet's great. You just do it once and, and you're leaving it there and it's great for those use cases. But if you want to fire a lot of smart contracts quickly, you can do that on scale. And, and also you pay more on scale by just getting more compute. If you have a full 16 nodes, well, it's going to cost a lot more and you're going to get 2,000 transactions per second and a lot of storage. You can run file storage on scale too. It's just like you could get on, on Filecoin and other assets like that. It just comes within scale uh, natively in the blockchain. But I could also just have one 128th of 16 nodes and run 20 transactions per second and, and be incredibly happy. And it's going to cost me dramatically less. And um, But when you look at these, these categories and use cases, we have, you said, music streaming, um, uh, gaming, B2B, decentralized finance, uh, all, uh, real estate, um, ad tech, all these categories, they all have something in common. And what we did is, I've been doing startups for a long time, and, and you don't want to have 50 different use cases that all use a product differently. Right. Usually you want to have one vertical, similar low-hanging fruit use case, knock that down, go to the others. The you know, Jeffrey Moore crossing the chasm approach. We're taking a similar approach that that the community, the scale community, is that Amazon took, where we're very horizontal across use cases and across types of entities, but they're pretty much all innovative five to fifty person type startups that need to fire smart contracts that have a high throughput requirements. They gain a lot of UX advantages by having. Um, fast block times and you know sub-second block times, mm-hmm. and they want to decrease gas cost, and they're generally smaller transactions as opposed to being, you know, hundreds of th- hundreds of dollars or thousands of dollars. They're dollars and and cents, and um, and need to be. And there are some bigger ones as well, but they're generally on the lower realm. And so they all use the product the same way. They all have the same feature request primarily, uh, even though they're across different areas. Got it. 
So let's talk about the news. And it was big news um, with Consensus. So Blockchain Scaling Network, Scale, chosen as launch partner for Consensus Codify's Activate Token platform. So first, the team um, believes that Scale is a failure, uh, fairly mature project. Second, Scale's Layer 2 uh, scaling solution fits Activate's mission to support projects conducive to the Ethereum ecosystem as a whole. And that was from your partners there. So talk to us about this. Why is it important? You know, obviously, as I said, this got a lot of attention. A lot of people were talking about this over the last few days. So tell us, break it down. What is this all about? All right. Well, hey, and by the way, an honor to be on the podcast today, just after we announced it. So it's the first first opportunity I've had to discuss since the uh, the interviews prior to launch. So awesome. thank you. You hear that, guys? Ha ha! You can come on here and break news too. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So when you think about launching a token, one uh, decentralization is key. If you want to launch a decentralized protocol, it, you know, Scale Labs Inc. can't do this. Scale Labs had to transfer these all the assets and and open source everything, and the community runs the code. So, so that happened. And then, and then when you think about it, if this is really a utility token, how can you prove something is a utility token if clearly SAFs were sold and money was invested? And, and you know, let's call a, a spade a spade. That has, has been pretty clearly stated that those are securities, and that's what a SAF is. But how do you go through this gray area of being a security to being a utility token? And one really innovative way is proof of use, which the consensus team has created. Mm-hmm. And what that means is if you buy a token in the scale network, whether you bought it in a SAF, whether you bought it in, a, uh, you know, in the public sale auction, what you do is you need to stake that in the network and you use it. And you actually, what the purpose of the scale token is, is it acts as that incentive stake for each node to make sure that nodes act in a proper way that's not malicious, so that the node doesn't steal. And if they steal, then they get slashed. So you're basically collateralizing, instead of collateralizing a loan, you're collateralizing an Ethereum as a service with a scale token. And then people that run nodes get paid scale tokens to run the servers. And so what we do is we create an environment for 90 days where people can come by in this auction and they stake the token in the network for 90 days. And the token then is not listed on any exchanges. It's not liquid. And we have this 90-day period where we have a lot of, uh, we're building up the utility and it's really critical for security of the network. It's critical for, uh, for growing the network. Each node is capped, meaning that you can only put a certain amount of scale in it and you have to start a new server and it grows the size of the network. We hope to get another 40 full nodes out of this, uh, this work, this mm-hmm. auction which ends up being, I think, 320 different small scale chains, which 320 new dApps could be using and paying for. So that's the model. And, um, you know, the regulatory landscape is, I think, moving, regulators are learning. But uh, it also, you know, this seems to be the most sound way that's conservative that takes long-term health of the network into consideration and prioritizes the value and the of the network over a long period of time compared to a short-term pump and price of token, which didn't fit the ethos of the scale network or, and, you know, really matches what consensus ethos and the Ethereum ethos of building, doing things of value, creating major long lasting change and impact. You know, then it becomes a really a community run business. And that's at the very beginning, we talked about these, these things. That's what got me. It was, 
uh, inspired was, wow, we can create new business models and new structures that are more community owned. And as an entrepreneur, you're instead of figuring out how can I create network effects and extract the most value, it's how can we use community growth to share the most value and you still can create a major win as an entrepreneur or for early supporters who are putting in capital because they are there to help spark growth of a new entity. And, and so anyways, I think it's all very cool and intellectually stimulating. And that's why I'm excited about the space. Awesome. And so as we're wrapping up, you know, Jack obviously has a very important project to be running here. So thank you for coming on. So the two things that we'd like to do at the end with guests is get a little into their mind share. What have you been reading lately? Any books that come to mind? Hopefully you have some chance to read. Uh, I know obviously you're a busy founder right now, but any books that you read or any articles that you've read that were stimulating that you told your friends and family about, and then any music that you listen to? Yeah, great, great question. So I am, I am a, a very avid podcast listener. That's why I get my crypto, and then I'm reading the crypto news. And then when I actually read, I am reading science fiction. So okay. <laughs> I'm reading sci-fi and fantasy, and I'm taking my brain to a different place. Um, and then I'm listening to a lot of like you know more indie folk style music, and just I'm chilling my brain out when I'm not uh, getting my crypto, and I'm. um and so the last thing that we'd like to do is where can people find out more about scale how can they get involved and where can they get in touch yeah i I recommend go to scale.network and scale is spelled with a k s k a l e dot network you could follow me on twitter at jack o'halloran but the the website which is it's you know it's foundation um own run website will guide you to developer portal will guide you to you know as an uh, you know someone in uh, who's an enthusiast learning more about this investing whatever it can give you a lot of really good content and um, and also guide you other places to learn more so you can participate in in the upcoming events awesome so this is jack a great conversation about scale CEO of Scale Labs, co-founder of Scale. And this was a great conversation. Again, as I said, you know, there has been a lot of news and it was great to talk about the consensus news with Jack uh, as it just broke a few days ago. And so hopefully we will be able to catch up with you. Uh, A lot of things that you guys are working on this year and we want to track the progress, but thanks for coming on and we'll be talking to you soon, Jack. Yeah, David, thank you. Really a pleasure. Uh, It's been fun. For more notes from this past episode about our guest, please go to www.ar.ca slash baselayer. Nothing stated on this podcast should be taken as investment advice, which would require a thorough assessment of each investor's personal financial profile and risk tolerance. Statements regarding past performance are not necessarily indicative of future returns. If you like what you're listening to on Baselayer, let us know. Subscribe, give us a like, or hit us up on Twitter, Arca at Arca, or myself, David Nage at DavidJN79. Let us know, and we'd love to obviously hear from you. For additional resources to help sophisticated listeners like yourself learn about the digital asset space and the financial terms you understand, please visit www.ar.ca for articles, marketing commentary, videos, and more.